the sun is down and the stars are out. Everyone turn up your volume and turn down your lights. The Twilight Beacon begins transmitting now. Jedediah D. Blackwell here, coming to you from the Twilight Beacon, here in the American Southwest. Tonight, we bring you two classic stories from the golden age of radio featuring the imagined death of a certain Austrian artist who became the most hated man in the world, Adolf Hitler. Usually, these stories of human peril are intended to terrify the listener, but in this case, the fictional accounts of Hitler's demise are meant to satisfy a desire for retribution offering a revenge fantasy. The true fate of Adolf Hitler was ungratifying for many people that lived through World War II, and it was entertaining to imagine a more denigrating and humiliating end for the former Fuhrer. Our first story is Death at Fifty Fathoms, from The Mysterious Traveler, April 18, 1950. One of the most persistent rumors following World War II was that Adolf Hitler had faked his own death and had secretly escaped to South America to avoid trial for war crimes. This conspiracy theory was bolstered by the fact that several high-ranking Nazi officers did exactly that, many of them escaping the fall of the Third Reich via pre-planned routes called ratlines. Some of these men avoided prosecution for decades, with a small number even living long lives in countries like Argentina and Paraguay. The most famous of these Nazis to escape justice was Joseph Mengele, nicknamed the Angel of Death for his role in inhumane medical experiments at the Auschwitz concentration camp. After escaping Germany near the end of the war, Mengele lived under several different identities in various South American countries and was believed to be dead until 1959, when other escaped Nazi officers were captured and questioned, providing evidence that Mengele was possibly still alive. The resulting manhunt lasted for three years, but was ultimately unsuccessful. Mengele lived until 1979, when he suffered a stroke while swimming and drowned, but his identity was not confirmed until 1992. Death at Fifty Fathoms gives life to the rumors of Hitler's faked suicide and last-minute escape from Allied forces, putting him aboard a U-boat bound for South America. However, his travels meet with a bit of difficulty after one last act of malignant cruelty and his victims come for their well-deserved revenge. Instead of the usual dread listeners would feel, when this episode of The Mysterious Traveler aired just five years after the end of the Second World War, the audience likely found themselves cheering on the ghastly forces of the undead in their deadly hunt. And now we present Death at Fifty Fathoms, as heard on The Mysterious Traveler in April of 1950. Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Mysterious Traveler, written, produced, and directed by Robert A. Arthur and David Coker, and presenting tonight two of radio's foremost personalities, Frank Barrens and Roger DeCoble, in Death at Fifty Fathom. This is The Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me 
on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can. For tonight, we're going to venture into the dangerous depths of the Atlantic with a group of desperate men caught in a strange dilemma. It's a story I call Death at 50 Fathoms. I suppose you've been reading the newspapers these last few weeks. You saw those headlines. Mystery South sighted off Pacific Coast and Traitor Vanishes as Mystery Sub is sighted and all the others. Well, Joe Briggs read them, too, as well as heard the story one evening when he dropped into the corner bar near the radio repair shop. Total damage caused by the fire was close to a million dollars. Hi, Joe. What'll it be? Um, give me a glass of rock beer. Okay, one buck coming up. Hey, what's that news commentator saying about a mystery sub? Let me listen to that. tell you a story that's even screwier. Huh? I know what happened to Hitler and where he is now. Yeah? Yes. I thought the Russians found his body when they captured Berlin. Maybe they found a body, but it wasn't his. Whose was it? A double. Hitler did try to get away by submarine, see? And just... <laughs> now, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Try me and see. Okay. Uh... Only, uh, I never told it before, you see. Uh, not even to my buddies when I was in the Navy. Why should I be called nuts and sent up for observation? So, uh, don't believe me. Just call it, um, a story. And you can stand me a beer when I've finished, eh? All right, Joe. It's just a story. Check. Well, it began the night after the war in Europe ended. I was in the Navy then, and I was a radio operator on board the destroyer Spindrift. It was late at night, and I was half asleep in the radio room, the receiver over my ears, when I heard it. A voice that seemed to come whispering out of no place. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Can anybody hear me? Please, if you can hear me. The voice faded out again. It was a German voice, talking English good. I turned the controls and it came back stronger. Hello, hello. This is Oberleutnant Reiner of the Undersea Boat Wolf. Listen to me. Anybody who may be picking up this message, please listen. Nobody can help us. But it makes it easier to talk. Easier to face what's coming. Easier to face... Death. Yes, death. We are doomed, and we know it. And yet only yesterday, we thought all danger was past. 
Yes, just yesterday afternoon. As we were cruising on the surface, recharging our batteries, we thought our mission was as good as accomplished. Captain Metz was on the bridge with our very special passenger, who called himself uh, Schmidt. Though, of course, we all knew who he was. A beautiful day, Captain. Particularly gratifying after our long surpassed. Yes, Your Excellency. Uh, pardon me, Herr Schmidt. You must not take the slightest risk as long as I am aboard, Captain Metz. We have lost, but I shall yet win. You hear? I shall win. For it would be disloyal of me to believe anything else, Herr Smith. In South America, I will make my plan. The world will think me dead. Instead, I will be hidden, where I can direct our rebirth. Quite so, Your Excellency. Uh, pardon me, the lookout has sighted something. Ach, yeah, there's a lifeboat drifting three points off our starboard bow. Pitching and tossing on the gray waves of the Atlantic ahead of us was a lifeboat crowded with gaunt-faced men who watched with hostile eyes as we came alongside. A dozen yards away, Captain Metz ordered the engine stopped. And then, as our illustrious passenger looked on with his cloak concealing his face, Captain Metz questioned the men in the lifeboat. You in the lifeboat! Who's in charge? I am! Right. What's your name? What ship? What cargo did you carry? What port were you cleared for? Captain Walter McCaffrey of the mountain. We were a relief ship carrying food and medical supplies. One of your murdering dogs torpedoed us. That's enough, Captain Jensen. You may pull away now. The nearest land is 300 miles to west of you. Aye, we'll pull away. I'm glad to get out of the same part of the ocean with you. Coil, man! And then, just as the lifeboat started to pull away, the wind whipped aside our passenger's cloak. And in the lifeboat, Captain Mackenzie, a burly giant of a man, recognized him. Men, stop! Look! There on the coming car! You see that smacking crack? I order you to destroy that boat, Captain. No one can be allowed to leave the report on his evening. Very well. Forward gun. Ready to fire. Forward gun. Ready to fire. Give them two rounds. Forward gun. Fire. Forward gun. Fire.
that horse. Yeah, and directly. There will be no eyewitness to tell of seeing you aboard a submarine that is water here. The world must never guess I have left Germany. The whole future of the fatherland depends. What is that? That's on. Bombers. Patrol bombers coming this way. Get below at once. We're going down. We made a crash dive and fled into the concealing depths of the ocean. A few bombs exploded, but far away, the patrol planes were too great. Crisply, Captain Metz gave the necessary orders while our illustrious passenger looked on, his face pale. What's our depth, Rila? Seventy-five feet, sir. Good. We were too fast for them. The bombs. They are coming closer. Now they've lost us. They're bombing at random now. Yes, we are safely away. The depth wheel up. Ninety feet, sir. Ninety is enough. Level her. Level her, sir. We'll set our course at 180. Level her, I said. We're still diving. The leveling planes. He won't respond, sir. What? Hey, that they're jammed. Don't be operating motors have broken down. We are damaged. The bombs have damaged. Ah, but... there wasn't a bomb close enough to break an egg. Fill up. Our depth. And Trying to raise the Wunderschee boat, Wolf, for the service. 
Lieutenant Heiner, what depth does the chart show? Uh, 300 feet with a gravel bottom, sir. But uh, there's a port in the ocean bed just east of our position. A crevasse a thousand feet deep. We are safely beyond it. Miller, our depth. 200 feet, sir. And we are going down. 10 feet a minute. But our tanks are empty. We should be going up. Nevertheless, we are going down. And as long as we are, we will bottom and surface for repair. Who said that? Who spoke there, Neutland? I don't know, sir. Wheeler? Not I, sir. Fire! Someone is lying. When I find him, he'll go into air. Wheeler, our depth. And that's twenty feet. Panel, sir, as if... As if what? Nothing, sir. Oh, and as if what? Uh, excuse me, sir. I was going to say it. As if something was pulling us down. Aha. Uh-huh. What you thought better of saying it. Yes, sir. See that you continue to think better of such remarks. The same applies to everyone on board. Point Yes, sir. We will bottom in seven minutes. Prepare to make an inspection of the ship as we do. Well, Leutnant? I have finished the inspection. Your report? Everything is in perfect order, sir. There are no leaks, the batteries are fully charged, all motors in working order, all pumps operate. Then, obviously, there is no reason we should not surface when we choose to do so. No, sir. Miller, what word of the destroyer? I have heard no propeller sound for two hours. And we will surface. Blow the auxiliary tanks. Blow the auxiliary tanks, sir. All main and auxiliary tanks empty, sir. All tanks empty. We have blown all our tanks and we have not risen one inch. I am aware of it, Lieutenant Heiner. Do you take me for an imbecile? No, sir. It's just that it's... It's impossible. Obviously, we are stuck on a mud bottom. But the bottom here is gravel. The chart says so. The chart is wrong. I say it's mud. You hear? Yes, sir. And so we will have to use the motors to pull ourselves free. Signal full speed ahead. Yes, sir. Full speed ahead. We're not moving. What is it? Why have the fools cut out the motor? Uh, excuse me, sir. The engine room is reporting. I suppose the idiots have burned out the motor. No, sir. They say the propeller is powered. How can it be powered? It's impossible for it to become powered on this motor. Uh, yes, sir. They say it's not entirely powered. It will turn. But only very slowly. As if... As if what? He's saying it turns as if, as if a lot of hands were holding it to keep it from revolving. Fools, imbeciles! When we get back to our base, I'll court-martial every man aboard. Got tangled in a little seaweed, that's all. We may be able to reverse the propeller and free it. Full speed astern, Lieutenant Reiner. Full speed astern. <laughs> Well, now what? The engine room 
caught the propeller still power, sir. It turns out that it's something was holding it back. And you will think that I, Ludwig von Metz, thought I had the finest submarine crew in the world. A pack of mewling infants! Captain! Captain Metz! Metz! Ah, oh, Herr Schmidt. I trust you not to worry. Everything is quite under control. Captain Metz, in my cabin I have been hearing sounds. Sounds, Your Excellency. What sounds? From outside the submarine. Scratching sounds. Tappings on the hull. They go on and on and on. They sound, Captain Metz. They sound like someone trying to get into the submarine. After me. Silence! You have heard nothing except pebbles being swept against our hull by the current, that is all. I tell you, it sounds like hands rapping and tapping on our hull trying to get in. Captain, surface at once, do you hear? I order you to surface at once. I am about to do so. Now, with all due respect, may I suggest you return to your cabin. Your presence here may impede our effort. I... Well... See that you take me to the surface at once. Have no fear. Deutschland Reiner, perhaps you will assist Herr Schmidt to his cabin. Yes, sir. Certainly. If I may hold the door for your excellency. Captain. Captain Metz. Well, what is it? Captain, we hear them too. Sounds coming from outside our hull. I hear no sound. I can hear them now quite plainly on my detector phones. They do sound like the rasping and scraping of a lot of men clambering over our house. And that... Uh, yeah. Perhaps that can bring you to your senses. Listen to me, all of you! You're temporarily stuck in the mud. A current is sweeping pebbles against us. You're all acting like children who think they see a ghost in a graveyard. You're going to be on the surface in an hour. You have my word for it. Break free from the mud. I'm going to fill the bow tank, then blow them and fill the stern tank. We'll rock the ship loose. You understand? Uh, and flood the forward ballast tank. Flood the forward ballast tank. Yeah. Captain Metz. Yeah, Herr Leutnant. Pumps are operating again. The failure was caused by Seaman Hans Jaeger. Jaeger? How? He went off his head and grabbed the pole of the main switch. The short circuit blew out the fuses and electrocuted him. How is all this reaction? Badly, sir. They are very nervous. Nervous, are I will give them something to be nervous about. That scraping and scratching outside our house. It's upset the crew badly, sir. I know it's stopped now, but the men say it's just because they are planning something else. Eh? Who do you mean, they? The crew says says that there are hundreds of men in the water outside trying to get in at us. Dead men, sir. Do you wish to be placed in irons? No, sir. I, I'm just trying to explain the crew's state of mind. In, in spite of all our efforts, we are still on the bottom and the men... The men are getting jumpy, sir. I'll teach them a lesson they'll not forget. But of course, they're taking their cue from our illustrious passenger. If he hadn't come out here with his ravings and rantings... Never mm, mind that. It is quiet now. 
I gave him whiskey with a sedative. If I may make a suggestion, sir. Well, what is it? Uh, there, there is one thing that we have not tried. We have to try it. Discharge our torpedoes. Discharge our torpedoes? We must. We have ten torpedoes aboard, each weighing 2,500 pounds. That's 25,000 pounds of dead weight. Get rid of that and we have to rise. We have to. I see you are beginning to share the history of the crew. However, I accept your suggestion. Order the discharging of the torpedoes to begin at once. Yes, sir. At once. We began discharging our torpedoes. Two, three, four. And then the wolf moved. It jolted and moved. But not upward toward the surface. To my horror, as I watched the gauges, we began to move downward. Fifty feet, sixty feet. We slid ever deeper into the ocean's depths, as if down a steep slope on the bottom. After we had fired six torpedoes, we were actually a hundred feet deeper than we had been. And then the discharge of torpedoes stopped. And I went forward to find out what was wrong. It's no use, I tell you. It is no use. We're going down, not up. Down. What's going on here? Why haven't the rest of the torpedoes been discharged? You know what is going on like that. We have fired six torpedoes to lighten ships. We have just sunk deeper. Deeper. Always deeper. Our place won't stand it. You will be crushed, drowned like rats in a trap. Why are we quiet? Why should I be quiet? We all know our tanks are empty. We should have been on the surface long ago. We're being held down by a thousand dead men, crawling all over us, scratching at our plate, trying to get in. They've come from all over the seven seas just to hold us down, just to see if we don't get away. Listen. Listen to them. You can hear them now. Listen. Maya, come to your senses. It's only our plates groaning under the pressure. Hey, listen. You know better. We all know better. Who dragged us down here to the bottom? Whose hands are keeping our propellers from turning? Whose bodies jammed our diving planes? Whose weight is keeping us on the bottom? The day. I order you to be silent. It's too late for orders. There's only one way we can escape. Give them the dead outside, the man they want. They want our passenger, the one who calls himself Herr Schmidt. We all know who he is, and so do they. Oh, and they've come to get him. You are under arrest. Grab him, you man. Hey, listen, listen, all of you. Let us go get this Herr Schmidt. Put him in the computer's open and turn him out to the dead, outside. Let them have him. Then they let us go free. It is our only home. Fire! <laughs> Captain Matt. I heard your interesting little speech just now. And this is my answer. Uh, right, Captain Matt. Does anyone else want the same medicine? And to your stations. Might not continue discharging torpedoes. That was many hours ago. We discharged all our torpedoes. And we are still on the bottom. Every few minutes we slip a little deeper. Down a slope that is bringing us ever closer to the thousand foot chasm in the ocean bed. The crew truly believes that we are being dragged toward it by thousands of dead men who have gathered outside. Drawn here by their hatred for our passenger. A hatred so great even death cannot quench it. Perhaps they are right. Certainly Herr Schmidt believes it himself. 
He is in the next camp. Captain Metz has locked him in. Perhaps if I hold this microphone close to the bulkhead, you can hear him. Captain Metz! Captain Metz! Do something! I order you to do something! They're outside! They're clawing at the hull to get at me! Captain, save me! I order you to! You must let me die, Captain! Captain Metz! That is enough. He makes an unlovely spectacle. Our illustrious passenger, as the end approaches. Though no one can save us, there is comfort in knowing that somewhere, some human ear is hearing me. Ah! Another lurch, then. We must be on the very edge of the crevasse. It is truly as if hands, many hands, were remorselessly pulling us towards our doom. The hands of the dead? It is a fantastic thought. And yet, when one is hated as our passenger is hated, by hundreds of millions of the living and tens of millions of the slain, who can tell? Uh, there is also the curse Captain Mackenzie in the lifeboat uttered just before he died. Just a moment ago, a sharp tapping came against our house, as if someone was stamping against it with a rock. This... That tapping is an international code. It's a message from outside. A message from someone outside the submarine at a depth of 400 feet. And no living man could be sending it. What did it say? I will tell you. Ah! Another lurch. And now, we are going down into the great crevasse. 450 feet. 500 feet. In a moment, this submarine will crumple like a child's toy. But first, the message, it says, We are waiting for you, Adolf Hitler. We are waiting for you, Adolf Hitler. That's the message we are receiving 500 feet deep in the ocean. And now, our, our plates are cracking. We're, we're done for! just spinning a sailor's yarn? Well, he no longer insists it's true. He just asks us to consider it a story and nothing more. But I wonder, after all, Hitler did disappear, and it's logical that he might have tried to get away by submarine, so... Oh, that brings me to my story for next week about another individual who suffered punishment. I call it, I Died Last Night. It's about a man who woke up to find out that he was dead and that nobody would... Oh, but you have to get off here. I'm sorry. But I'm sure we'll meet again. I take this same train every week at this same time.
You have just heard The Mysterious Traveler, which is played by Maurice Tarplin. In the cast were Frank Behrens, Roger DeCoven, Robert Dryden, and Ronald Dawson. Original music is composed and played by Alphanet. This is Bob Emmerich speaking. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You just listened to Death at 50 Fathoms from The Mysterious Traveler, as originally aired on April 18, 1950. Our next story is Time on My Hands, from Suspense, September 25, 1960. This story turns the clock back to 1939, when the world was on the cusp of war across Europe. The provocations of Hitler's Nazi regime are all the news, and one man decides to take matters into his own hands deciding to use a newfound time travel technology to alter history. However, the plan hits some difficulties, including a tag-along wife and an inability to remember the purpose of his mission. This script is almost as comedic as it is dramatic, with the interplay between the married couple and the farcical depiction of a young Adolf Hitler providing some wry humor to the attempted murder plot. And now, time on my hands, as heard on Suspense in September of 1960. And now, another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Time on My Hands by Walter Black. Justice, did you enjoy the roast lamb tonight? Hmm? Uh, it was all right. Why? Gertrude was wondering. She noticed you were frowning at the table. None of a business if I was. State of the world's enough to make anyone frown. Yes, dear, I know. And tell Gertrude and tell her to mind her own business. Justy. Why, she's been with us almost 24 years. Besides, she's a gem and you know... She knows it, too. That's the trouble. Well, dear, after all, this is 1939. You don't find cooks like Gertrude growing on trees. Just climbing on them, huh? What, dear? Uh, nothing, Emily. Nothing. Time for the news. Clad Wehrmacht poised on our eastern borders tonight, Poland is a country steeled for the worst. In Paris and London, the mood is grim. The communique is terse, and in some cases, non-existent. One informed source said that Prime Ministers Chamberlain and Deladier are considering a hurried flight to Berchtesgaden with personal appeals to Chancellor Hitler, but this could not be confirmed. Oh, how awful. Will there be a war, Justin? Of course. I don't think Roosevelt can keep us out of it either. Sooner or later we'll be in it. If only that Hitler would listen to reason. You met him, my dear. Does he strike you as the kind of person who would listen to reason? No. But then it was so many years ago. We didn't really know him. You only have to meet the fellow once to know enough not to trust him. How many times have I tried to tell people, the man's a lunatic, you can't do business with him. Destroy him before he destroys us. How many times have I said that, Emily? Many times, dear. Yes, and I've gotten the same reaction I get from you. Nice, gentle pats on the back. Somewhere along the way, you think someone would have had the sense to blow the man's brains out. It would have saved the world a lot of grief. Well, dear, even if someone had killed him, wouldn't there have been someone else? Perhaps. But remember one thing, Emily. In his own evil way, Hitler's a genius. 
and geniuses are few and far between. Yes, Margaret? Mr. Scruggs is here, Mr. Driscoll, and he simply insists on seeing... You're darn right I do, Justin. And it's a whole lot more important than your stocks and bonds. All right, Orrin, come on in. I've done it, Just. This is going to curl your hair. Another invention, Orrin? Now, don't say it like that. Well, you'll forgive me if I don't jump up and down with glee. I've been contributing to your inventions for a quarter of a century without one single... Now, re- don't play the big financier with me, Just Driscoll. When we were boys back in Glen Falls, we took an oath to help each other no matter what, didn't we? Oh, sure. It's been a little one-sided so far, though. Well, this will balance the books all right. I'm going to make you a rich man, Just. I mean, a richer man. Get to the point. I'm busy. I've perfected a time machine. And I hope it's not... You what? Perfected a time machine. You're crazy. Like a fox. I've invented a time machine, and it works. You know what that means, Joss? I've broken through the fourth dimension. Well, don't just sit there. Oren, you couldn't have invented any such thing. It's only in those dime magazines that time machines exist, not in real life. It's a, a contradiction, don't you see? No. Time exists only because it's already in the past. What hasn't happened yet doesn't exist because, well, because it hasn't taken place yet. Don't you understand, Orn? What you say is literally impossible. Emily, I'm, I'm still staggered. Can you imagine what it was like to see the contraption actually work? Time and time again? It, it was like being present at, at the dawn of a new era. It must have been very interesting, dear. How's Millie? Huh? Oh, all, all right, I guess. I only saw it for a moment, but... But, Emily, imagine the sheer magnitude of the discovery. Oh, I do, dear. Don't you get it? It works! I went out there to Staten Island just to humor Orrin. I didn't believe it for a second. How could I? And I've come away a complete convert. It's... It's... Staggering. Exactly. Listen. He took their old retriever, you remember Rex? And put some kind of contraption on him and set the controls for exactly 11 years in the past. Threw the switch and the whole... The whole kitten caboodle just... just faded out. Then he reversed the switch and it faded back in again. Just like that. Only get this, Emily. It wasn't Rex. Or rather, it wasn't 11-year-old Rex anymore. It was a little six-week-old puppy. How sweet. So then Orange set the controls for exactly 11 years in the future. Threw the switch and poof! The puppy faded out. But this time when he brought him back, it was old Rex again. And none the worse for wear either. Absolutely staggering. Emily, do you realize that in Oren's machine, a man could go back in time to any period he chose? Really, dear? How interesting. He could go anywhere. Do anything. He could even... second act of Suspense. Now, let me get this straight. You think you can go back 30, 35 years, knock off Adolf Hitler, and then come back to 1939 
just like that? Why not? Um, what makes you think you could commit murder? Killing Hitler wouldn't be murder, Orrin. He needs killing for the sake of the whole world. Think of it, Orrin. A world without fear. Yes. Sounds real peaceful. But it might be kind of dangerous just tinkering with history. Ever think of that? Certainly. Look, the only way Hitler's ever impinged his own impression on others is through evil. Right? I'll only be eradicating the evil. And if it changes people's lives, it'll be for the better. Hmm. What about Emily? What about her? Well, I can hear her right now when you tell her. She'll either put you right to bed and call your doctor, or else she'll get your button to strap you down and call the nearest psychiatrist. Justin Waterfield Driscoll, you must be out of your mind. Now, Emily... Now, here you are, going on 55, and still trying to act like one of the rover boys. But, honey... Why, you're, you've got a position to maintain, a firm and a board of directors you're supposed to be responsible to. If you'd only... You think I'd let you go off by yourself without anyone to watch out for you? If you just let me get one word in... What did you say? When? You said you wouldn't let me go off by myself. Naturally not. Does that mean you would let me go if I took somebody? Well, not somebody. Me. You? Well, if you can do it, why couldn't I? I beat you at ping pong and tennis, don't I? I'm not the one who always complains about walking too fast up in the country, am I? And Dr. Saxter says my physical condition would do a girl of 25 proud. I know. No buts, Justin. Either you take me or you don't go. And furthermore, you don't just walk into a thing like this without a lot of preparation. For example, how are you going to get back to where... I'll be darned. She really said all that, just That and a whole lot more. And let me tell you something, Orrin. She made sense. She even figured out where to go. Where? Linz, Austria. Never heard of it. We were there on our honeymoon in 1908. It's Hitler's hometown, Orrin. That's where we met him. You know, I've told you about meeting him. Hundreds of times. This is hardly the time for sarcasm. Uh, sorry. The machine can get us back there, can't it? Don't see why not. Emily even remembered the evening we met him. Trust women for dates. We got to Lentz on July 15th, and on the 16th, we went to this beer garden. So you fix it so we can be back in Lentz on July 16th, 1908, and we'll take it from there. All right. All right now, just about ready. When I throw the switch, you'll be in Lentz, Austria. And it'll be sometime late in the morning of July 16th, 1908. Right. I'm giving you 24 hours, and that's all. Tomorrow morning, I'll reverse the switch and bring you back. Right. Now, remember, Just, you'll be 23, and, uh, M... I'll be 21. Uh-huh. Now, good thing you got the old-style clothes. You look kind of funny running around in 1939, Duds. Oh, got enough money? All we need. I thought of everything, haven't you? Of course, Orrin. Now, can we go? Just one thing more. What? Forget the whole idea. No. Why, Orrin? Don't you believe in your own machine? It's not the machine, Em. I just don't like the idea of tampering with your lives this way, Emily. And besides, how do I know your personalities might not be changed? Save your breath. Our minds are made up. Well, if you say so... Wish us luck, Orrin. Oh, I do. Maybe you can bring back Hitler's scalp as a memento. There's no call to be vulgar. Uh, no, ma'am. Well, I, I can't talk you out of going. No. no. Hang on, then. Say goodbye to Millie for us. Yep. Here you go. 
friends talk about that rat skeller back on Third Avenue, you can tell them all about the real thing now, can't you, darling? I certainly can. Oh, isn't this quaint? The atmosphere is so... So heavy, you could cut it with a knife. <laughs> and the women just. Did you ever see so many fat ones? Well, it must be all that Wiener schnitzel and hassen pepper they eat. Mm-hmm. Justin? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, my love? Do you think they all know we're newlyweds? Well, I think all the men are jealous of me and all the house frows are envious of you. That's what I think. <laughs> Justin, dear. Yes, my love? I... I like being Mrs. Driscoll. Well, I love you, Mrs. Driscoll. Come here. Not here, Justin. Why not? I've got the prettiest bride in the world, and if I want to kiss her in a beer garden, who's to... Two people do not need an entire table. What? Oh. Oh, you, uh... You wish to join us? I wish to sit and drink my schnapps. Move over, Emily. You are American? Yes. I could tell. What did he say, Just? He just asked if we were Americans. Uh, say, my, uh, my name is Driscoll. Uh, mein Frau. <laughs> mein Frau. I understand that, darling. Hitler. I beg your pardon. My name, Adolf Hitler. Well, I'm glad to meet you here, Hitler. You Americans are all rich, are you not? <laughs> Far from it. Most of us are just... You are rich, though. Well, I don't see that that's any... You have any... servants and automobiles and houses and all the food you want. That is obvious. You Americans are all alike. Soft. With too much food and too much easy living. He sounds unpleasant, dear. What's he saying? Nothing, dear. He's probably had too much to drink. They say that in America you are ruled by your women. Is that true, America? No, it's not. Who the devil gave you the right to ask these questions? No one. I am Adolf Hitler. I do as I please. Hitler? You say it as if it means something. It means nothing to me. Wait, American. It will, one day. What are you? What do you do? I am a painter and an architect. Let's go, Justin. I... I don't like him. Frankly, dear, neither do I. I am also a revolutionary. Ah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. A Bolshevik. No, no, American. A German revolutionary. Quite a different thing. I believe in a Germany that will rule the world, including your part of it. In America, we have a few people like you, Herr Hitler, only we call them crackpots. Come on, Emily. Hurry back to your nice, rich hotel, American, before you hear a few bitter truths. Hurry back and hide your head under the bed What an awful person, Just. Let's not come back here again. In just a moment, we will return for the concluding act of... Suspense. Breakfast out here heavenly, darling. They ought to have sidewalk cafes all over New York. I wonder why they don't. Well, with all the automobiles on the streets, you'd uh, <laughs> choke to death on the fumes. Uh-oh. What's the matter? Here comes that chap, that um, Hitler. The one we met last night. Who knows? Ah, there you are, Herr American. We meet again. Don't talk to him, Just. I thought I would find you here. I simply asked myself which is the most expensive hotel in all of Linz. And here I came 
And here you are. Now, see here. We're, uh, we're eating our breakfast, and we'd like... I brought you some of my architectural studies. I think some might appeal to you. The money would mean little to you, and someday they will be worth many times what you pay for them. Now, look, look here, Herr Hitler. I, I consider this one of my best, if not the best. The cathedral. Well, what do you think? Um, very interesting. Oh, here, here, here. Two studies of the town hall from different angles. And here, Vienna, the chancellery. And here's another one of Vienna, the emperor's residence. Which do you like the best? None of them. Oh, you are angry about what I said last night. Very well, I take no offense. You see, American, I am uh, fair-minded. Now, which do you wish to buy? I will be very reasonable. None of them. And as for the uh, bitter truth, I don't think you have any talent at all. I, I wouldn't give you one penny for the whole lot. Very well, American. Today, it is your turn. One day soon, it will be mine. Today you sneer at me. Tomorrow you will be begging for mercy. You and all the others. Now get out before I throw you out. What makes you so brave, American? Money? One day I shall control more money than you ever dreamed of. Power? One day I shall be the most powerful man in the world. And when that day comes, you and your kind will be crushed. Like that. American pig, I spit on you. Just, just. I leave you to your soft life, American pig. Enjoy it while you can. Our day is coming. What, what was he screaming about, Judd? Never mind. He's, uh, he's mad as a hatter. Forget him. Uh, later. More coffee. Not for yeah, me, Justin. That dreadful man's absolutely ruined my whole morning for me. Now, don't worry, darling. We'll never see him again. for wear. How are you feeling? Horn. That's me. Feeling okay, Emily? Well, I guess so. What are we doing here? Just brought you back. Here, let me get those attachments off you. What do you mean you just brought us back? Well, to equalize you back to your actual ages, I had to shoot you 31 years into the future before I could get you back here to 1939. Listen, Orrin, if this is a joke, I'm not sure I appreciate it. There we are. Now, what seems to be the trouble? You you don't feel any after effects, do you? After effects of what, Orrin? Now, don't start any of your scientific mumbo-jumbo, because I wouldn't understand it. I thought your time machine worked. Why didn't you send us to Lynn's? Now, just hold everything right there. Are you trying to tell me that you don't remember anything? What's there to remember? I had Thomas drive us all the way out here this morning, didn't I? No. Oh, no, my friend, not this morning. That was yesterday morning. What? Did you shave before you came out to my place? If my early morning habits are of any interest to you, Orange Scruggs, I shave every morning. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, feel your whiskers. (laughs) But I... I did shave. I, I, I distinctly remember. Sure, just sure. Yesterday, 
You shaved. Horrid. What are you trying to tell us? I'm trying to tell you that you and Just went back to 1908 exactly 24 hours and six minutes ago. I don't believe it. Well, suit yourself. I couldn't be, Orrin. Well, we just put on those attachments a minute ago. Where's your purse, Emily? That's right, I'm... Now, that's funny. I'm positive I brought it with me. You did? Yesterday? Mm Mm-hmm. You must have left it behind you. Horn, we've been friends a long time. Don't play with us anymore. I'm not just. It's the gospel truth, I'm telling you. And it's about the most ironical thing that's ever happened. The first people ever to go back in time don't remember a thing about it. No. Oh, yes. Horn, even if, if what you say is true and you did send us back, maybe, maybe I accomplished what I set out to do. Afraid not, old boy. Poland just surrendered. Came in on the 8 o'clock news. Your friend Hitler's very much alive. But what happened in the last 24 hours, Oren? Afraid you're the only one who can tell me that. And uh, you don't remember anything at all? You said, here you go. And the next thing I knew, you were asking us how we felt. Uh Uh-huh. Well, tell me something. Can you remember meeting Hitler? Talking to him? Well, I remember it very well because he was such a dreadful little man. But it was so long ago, Oren. So many years. We saw him twice. At the beer garden in front of our hotel the next morning. But you know all that, Orrin. I've told you that. Yes, yes, hundreds of times. I was just seeing if maybe I could jog your memories of the past 24 hours. But I guess it's no use. Now what? Nothing. Couldn't you send me back alone? Probably could. But I won't. Like I said before, I don't like tampering with people or history either. Besides, I... I guess it just wasn't fated to be. What do you mean? Well, can you imagine just killing anyone? Of course not. At least... Well, I don't think I could. Uh Well, there you are. Maybe your subconscious was what kept you from remembering. Or maybe it was the machine. It doesn't really matter. But it does prove one thing. Even a time machine can't change a man's character. Oh, you had a good idea, Just. Crazy, but... uh, (laughs) Sometimes they're the best. Only trouble is, you picked the wrong fellow to do the dirty work. Suspense. You've been listening to Time on My Hands, written for suspense by Walter Black. Heard in tonight's story were Vera Allen and Santos Ortega as Emily and Justin Driscoll, Marion Russell and Bill Lipton as the Driscolls on their honeymoon, Ted Osborne as Oren Scroggs, and Bob Dryden as Adolf Hitler. Listen again next week when we return with Ivy is a Lovely Name by Sam Pierce, another tale well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Suspense has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. That will wrap up this episode of The Twilight Beacon, featuring two classic tales from the golden age of radio reimagining the fate of Adolf Hitler. You heard Death at 50 Fathoms from the April 18, 1950 airing of The Mysterious Traveler and Time on My Hands, as broadcast on Suspense September 25, 1960. 
The Twilight Beacon will return this Wednesday, October 27th, with an episode featuring two stories from the radio program Lights Out, offering metafiction from the twisted mind of Arch Obler. Also, we're drawing close to the end of this October run of The Twilight Beacon, and you'll not want to miss our special Halloween episode next Sunday, featuring some of the most legendary authors and voices in the history of horror. Until then, this is Jedediah D. Blackwell saying good night, everyone, and good luck getting to sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Twilight Beacon Podcast. New episodes are released on thetwilightbeacon.com Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays during the month of October and can be found on your favorite podcast apps and streaming services. The Twilight Beacon Podcast is produced and edited by Jason and Jacob Burgess. Music by Alexander Nakarada. Special thanks to the Old Time Radio Researchers Group and OTRR.com. Visit thetwilightbeacon.com for archived episodes and a schedule of upcoming shows. You can follow The Twilight Beacon on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest program updates.